You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. It's great to just be able to kind of relax into and enjoy and be open to and to soak in the goodness of God. In this series, we are calling Kipona Aloha, which means deep love. As we look in the book of 1 John, it's a letter to the churches, a general letter from John himself, talking about some very deep, deep concepts in very simple, profound ways. Deep love. We learned last week that God's love is not kind of wishful thinking or abstract or a general sense of okayness, like he's somewhere. But God becomes tangible, touchable, as we say, incarnational, which is in the fleshness, that Jesus comes as a fully human being into this world and that God goes to such great lengths to reach us, to have full communion with us. Today, we're going to be looking at now what it means uh, to, well, first of all, we're going to be confronting a few misconceptions of what deep love can might mean in this world, because a lot of this world talks a lot about love. Have you ever noticed that? There's a lot of love talk. There's a lot of loose love talk. There's a lot of talk about how love is just whatever, and often love becomes more or less like tolerance, not real love. And coexisting is very important, rather than really what God talks about is communion, which is much deeper. Community is much deeper than just kind of bear, kind of hang, you know, just whatever you do, your thing, I do my thing, and we're okay. We're talking about communion that God wants us to have as well. And so we're going to be looking at how um, even in the early church, there were these misconceptions, a group of people... it's hinted at here already at the beginning of this letter, a group of people who kind of disaffected, separated themselves out, considered themselves better than the rest, and uh, John is going to call them out already here at the beginning. And so we're going to look at uh, today what there is a vast difference between uh, coexistence and communion, between tolerance and God's forgiveness. And that difference is the difference between light and darkness. So let's read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John is contrasting here two different ways of living, two different ways of thinking, two different ways, as he says, of walking, which is kind of a metaphor in the Bible of walking is practically living, how you live out your life. And the delineation, he says, is between light and dark. And there's no gradation in between. There's no kind of like shadows that you can kind of be in one and the other. You're either in living in the light of God or you're living in the darkness of self-delusion. So that's the question. Which one are you living in? 
So from this passage, we're going to learn three things today. First of all, what it means to walk in darkness, what it means to walk in the light, and then finally, how do you move from darkness to light? Okay? Make sense? Pretty simple? All right. So walking in darkness. Now, John in his gospel also uses this whole imagery of light and darkness quite a bit. And one of the more profound passages where he develops this is in John chapter 3. And this is what John writes. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That is Jesus, actually. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I think this passage in John chapter 3 gives us a clue what it means to walk in lightness versus walking in darkness. And I don't know, do you know where this occurs in John chapter 3? What in John chapter 3, right before this passage, what's the, you probably know a Bible verse. What is it? John 3, 16. And what does it say? Right, you know it, right? Every football game has that sign at the end zone, John 3.16, right? Who's that being talked to, this whole thing? Does anybody know who's the person? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Now, here we get a clue. When did Nicodemus come to visit with Jesus? In the dark. In the night, in darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Nicodemus is an example of that. Is that a shocker or what? Because do you know who Nicodemus was? He was one of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 highest placed religious leaders of his time and age. And John is saying, yeah, he was in the dark. Isn't that amazing? To walk in darkness is not about, oh, the good people are in the light and the bad people are in the dark. It's not the religious people are in the light and the irreligious are in the dark. It's not the people in white hats versus the people in black hats. It's not the citizens versus um, the non-citizens. It's not, you know, you name it, the politicians over here. You know, it's none of that stuff. The, all the divisions that we make in our society, and especially, usually, religion is seen as the moral people are in the light and the immoral people are in the darkness. Not so. Not so. That is not what it means to walk in darkness. And you're probably like, what? Yeah, well, Nicodemus, law-abiding, good by anybody's account, religious, knowledgeable, educated, high up in society, well-respected, and he's in the dark. So, John is writing to his church, and one of the problems he's writing to these churches is that there were these separatists, these people who thought they were better than others, who were kind of know-it-alls, okay? Um, probably, possibly what they considered a Gnostic heresy, which you can look that up. Gnosticism starts with a G, G-N-O, and it basically means I know, you know, I, I know a lot, and therefore, I know more. And it's basically the idea is um, these people thought they were walking in the light because they had seen the revelation. And the revelation was that they were 
divine themselves. That, in fact, there was some connection that they innately had. They found within themselves that everyone's a child of God. Everyone has a piece of the light. Everyone is already connected to God. And therefore, we're in the light because Jesus comes not as a redeemer, but a revealer. He came uh, to show how we're already connected to God. We're already tight with him. And once we realize who we already are, this journey of self-discovery about our own wonderful divineness, I'm okay, you're okay, I'm pretty good, I'm at least good enough, then we're walking in the light. Um, that's very similar, by the way, to what we call the New Age movement, which isn't new at all. I don't know if you've ever heard of New Agers or New Age-isms. It's been around for a few, gen uh, few decades now. It was called New Age. And it's really um, basically just a mix of pop psychology, dis uh, self-discovery, and Eastern mystical teachings. Um, nothing new about it. Everyone has this piece of the divine. Everyone is a little uh, part of the, uh, and your job is just discover who you already are. And the separatists in John's day were basically saying much the same, and Jesus is just kind of a revealer, an avatar, didn't really have to come into the flesh, but we're all spiritual underneath this material world. That's the important part. And he's saying, you know what? That theological word salad. Have you ever heard that term word salad before? I love that. I just heard it a few months ago. It's basically where you put all these wonderful words together and they sound good, but it's an assortment that says nothing and it tastes like nothing, like a lot of salad, you know? No. I love salad, by the way, okay? But I'm just saying, word salad. And, and there's a lot of theological word salad going on right now. And John would look at that and say, that's darkness. It's not light. You talk about how, and this is how John says it in here. If we say, in John, 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, you know, like, I'm already, because who I am, I'm a child of God. Have you ever, you know, everybody, you know, we walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't practice the truth. Okay? Now, in a pluralistic society, I understand our need to both respect other people's opinions and theologies and belief systems. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about um, showing disrespect to anyone, but we just have to also understand when I am speaking about God and his truth, you may disagree with me and I may disagree with you, but it doesn't mean we're all the same. Everything's just the same. That's kind of word salad. That's kind of putting everything together. I will gladly advocate for people to practice their faith, whatever it happens to be in a pluralistic society. That is not what we're talking about here. I will love them. I'll serve them. I'll care for them. I will also say, yeah, they might be wrong. They, I disagree with them, but I'm still going to love them. You know, it's so interesting how we want to just believe everybody's okay, everything's fine. But when it comes to other things like sports, like football, all of a sudden we take sides real fast. Like, what if I was just, oh, Packers, Jaguars, Dolphins, Vikings, who cares? It's all football sports, yay. <laughs> You'd go like, wait a minute. 
You know, are you kidding me? They're not. But when it comes to faith, religion, spiritual, ah, it's all the same. That's darkness. That's darkness. I know that's not necessarily popular, but it's darkness. It's being unaware of your real condition and unaware of the brokenness of the world, just acting like it's okay, everything's fine. Um, I think that happens at times as well when uh, we want to live whatever way we kind of want, and therefore we don't want anybody to kind of see what we're doing or really be confronted with what we're doing, and we'll say, oh, everything's okay. It's a false sense of forgiveness or tolerance, maybe, but it's really not dealing with the real issues. Now, another group of separatists that seem to have come out were ones that uh, Paul, uh, John directly talks about here in 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It seems like there were some that also said, okay, yes, I used to be a sinner, but then Jesus, and now all I've got is victory, and I don't sin anymore. I, in fact, I don't know if you know that I w when I did my doctoral work back up in Kentucky, Kentucky, um, wonderful experience overall. I had one professor, though, that I was really kind of like stunned at. One day he looked at us in class and he said, it is really presumptuous for any of you here to think that I have sinned this week at all. And I'm going like, what? Are you, did I hear you right? He was basically saying, um, no, as a Christian, I've come to the point where I don't sin anymore. And I'm thinking, really? Because I've got the victory. And John says here, that is darkness. Those who claim to be not sinning at all anymore, that always have the victory, that's actually darkness talk. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus warned about such a situation as this when he said this, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what he's basically saying is that if you think you're fine, if you think you're on top of it, if you think you can see clearly and actually you don't, wow, you're really in bad shape. One time, actually, Jesus healed a man born blind in Gospel of John, chapter 9. And that man's uh, physical condition, him being born blind, is a metaphor, is a um, kind of an illustration, a teaching Jesus used of the human condition in general, that we are all born in that kind of way, that we really can't see God, we can't see ourselves, we're in the dark. And he heals this man born blind, and it's the religious leaders who think they've, they're beyond this. They can see clearly, and they are offended at how Jesus did it on the Sabbath and what he did and this man and what he says afterwards, all this stuff. It's the whole chapter. At the end of the chapter, um, the Pharisees heard what Jesus was saying, and they're like in shock. And this is what they say in response. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are you, we also blind? Are you insinuating that we're blind, actually? 
And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So the whole idea of being in the dark is really being in denial. You can deny by saying, hey, I'm fine. Nothing's really broken. I'm already connected to God. Or you can be in denial by saying, hey, I'm not sinning anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that. You know, I, I accepted Jesus into my life. I'm always in victory. That's denial too. Trying to cover over all your inadequacies, trying to be stronger, putting on the mask of perfection, trying to do it in your own power, saying, hey, I'm arrived, I'm mature, I'm already there, saying you're okay when you're not. That's walking in darkness. And Nicodemus was an example of that. So, John, what is then walking in the light? Our second point. John writes this in John 1, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the darkness as he is, or excuse me, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So walking in the light. When I'm reading this text, one of the first characteristics I think that comes out of walking in the light is this. You are open to God. You are open to having God speak into your life. You're open to God saying what he says about you. You are open to receiving whatever that happens to be. You're open to the reality of who you actually are, and you're exposed to that. And boy, let me tell you, it's tough, tough. I don't like it. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be scrutinized. I don't want to be looked at. I don't want to be inspected. I don't want to be under God's microscope. I don't want to be analyzed. I don't want to be, you know, picked over in any form. And so, so many people don't. Or they won't show up at church, you know, because, I mean, goodness, they feel like that's what's going to happen. You know, they're going to be analyzed, scrutinized, under the microscope, judged. And so I'm only going to go to church when I get my act together. And so they never come to church. (laughs) It's kind of like, I'm going to go to the gym when I get in shape. Have you ever, you know, it's like, I'll go to the gym once I get in shape because I don't want to go into the gym looking like this. Well, then guess what? Right? Or I'm going to go to the hospital after I start feeling better. <laughs> I've got to get a little more healthy and then I'll go to the hospital. That's what people, it's like, come on, just be, I need the hospital. I need the gym. I need the church. And yes, it's maybe not so comfortable to admit the shape I'm in. But being in the light basically is admitting the shape that you're in, saying it like it really is. A great metaphorical book, or it's a good book. It's called The Cure. What if God isn't who you think he is and neither are you? (laughs) It's really worth reading, okay? The authors, it's a number of authors, actually. You can see them at the bottom of that. Uh, The authors uh, ask a question that I think is getting at this. They ask the question, what if it was less important that anything ever gets fixed than that nothing has to be hidden? Did you get that? 
So the difference between darkness and light, like I mentioned before, is not the good people are here, the bad people are there. It's not the moral, the immoral, the religious, the irreligious, the law-abiding, the lawbreakers. The... No. You know why? Those two categories really don't exist. There's only one category of human beings, according to the Bible. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, lawbreakers, <laughs> criminals, broken people. So the difference between the light and the dark is not the difference between good and bad or people who sin and people who don't. Those who walk in the light basically let God's word speak to let them see you know, the faults, the brokenness, the double-mindedness actually be who they are before God and let his light shine on them. This is why John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in other words, you let yourself be a sinner, whatever that means, one who needs forgiveness, and God cleanses you. You're honest to God and honest with others. That's walking in the light. And second characteristic is not only open to God, but you're open with others. John writes again, we said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Now, this is fascinating to me. Instead of saying we have fellowship with God, he says we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us all sin. Fellowship with one another, it means openness, vulnerability, genuineness, honesty, living in the light, not having to put a mask on to walk into a room, put on airs to kind of name drop, to um, prove yourself to anyone. All those things, you know, trying to perform, trying to look good, trying to dress the right, none of that matters. Now, the book The Cure puts it this way. I love this passage. God wants us to live authentically. Fragile believers, that's who we are, learning to trust him and each other in relationships intent on love. He wants us out of hiding, acknowledging each other without performance or quotas. He wants us to experience his power healing us as he releases us into a life worth living. This is the church. So this is what Thrive has tried to become, a culture where we can just be honest to God and with each other. And to be loved, to be accepted, to be welcomed, to be forgiven, to, to not have to put on masks, not to fake it before we make it, or any of that kind of stuff. It's not about our good intentions or fixing ourselves or fixing anyone. And it's amazing how God's grace then changes it all. There's a lot of other churches out there. There's a lot of churches. And I'm sorry to say, sadly, I've been in a few myself as the pastor even, that it seems like you better, you better look this way, you better act this way, you better be this way before you're actually accepted. And you have to almost wear a mask in order to get anywhere. And I'm so sorry to say that that's darkness, not light. So we've been talking about really the whole time. I think what John is getting at is what we call grace. 
grace. So, how do you move from darkness to light? We've kind of talked about it indirectly. John says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. Now, that word confession, how many of you have baggage with that word, by the way? Yeah, yeah. You might think uh, some people from a certain backgrounds will think of a confessional booth or a priest. <laughs> or, oh, humiliation in front of other people because I have to kind of let it all out. And you, yeah. Here's the reality. The word confession that's used here is homo logeo, okay? Homo logeo. And homo means same, and logos, logeo, is word. Do you know what confession is? It's saying the same words back to God that he has said of you. That's all it is. It's saying, okay, you call me this, that's who I am. You're letting God speak over your life and saying, yeah, I am broken. Yes, I need you. But also, yes, I am your child and you are my God. Yes, I am forgiven. So it's speaking back to God what he has said of you. That's why some of you, notice the mockingbirds lately? Any of you? Yes, they're like everywhere right now. How many different songs they have? Does anybody know? I think it's like 20 or 30 different birds that they imitate. Right? Be a mockingbird. Speak back to God what he says of you, whatever that happens to be. Respond to him in the same words. Time and again, that's what real confession is. And don't think it's like a deal. You know, like I do my part and then God will do his part. If I just say I keep my end of the bargain and, you know, grovel, then God will forgive me. That is not what he is saying here at all. It is an invitation. It's being open to God, welcoming what God says. So the cure in that book, again, puts it this way. What if repentance wasn't a promise from you to God, but a gift from God to you? Okay? Seriously, that's what it is. And John says here, it's all made possible because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's not how good you confess I don't know if you've ever realized that. It's not how good you pray. It's not how much faith you have. I mean, I know a lot of people talk that way. I, and I've said it time and again. I've, I remember in co high school and college, uh, I had some friends that went up for altar call after altar call after altar call after every Christian concert because they didn't think they did it good enough the last time. And that's all based on, I have to do my part, and then God will do his part. That is hogwash. That's nowhere in the scriptures at all. God does not make deals. He makes promises. God is faithful to what he did in Jesus Christ, what he accomplished in Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ has earned for you, how he was placed upon the cross, how he was rejected, how the religious and the political forces of his day killed him on that cross, how the best intentions of human beings pushed him out of this world, how the best of us did it, not the worst of us, and how that itself shows our condition and our brokenness. And God opens up his hands, is totally vulnerable with us, and we are exposed by his grace at the cross as who we really are, too. And God fully forgives us and accepts us there. Now, um, 
I guess, 30 years ago, I read a book um, by Bo Geertz, a Christian theologian from Sweden. Okay, He's actually got a number of books I didn't realize, but the one is called The Hammer of God. And um, it's really good. I would recommend it. And it, um, it's kind of a novel about a, uh, different pastors and different Christians in different Swedish villages, kind of small town life. And the tortures that a number of Christians were going through because they were trying to figure out this whole grace thing and forgiveness thing and couldn't quite do it. And there's one time a pastor was actually just totally flustered by a man who was sick, an older man named Johan, and how he, it was just like the pastor didn't know what to do with him anymore because he just was like, I'm such a sinner, I'm such a sinner, I'm such a sinner. I just got so much sin in my life. I don't know what to do with it. I can't stop. And an older woman, probably understanding grace better than the pastor did, uh, comes into the scene as well. And the pastor gets to overhear how she does it. And this is how the book goes. She asks, do you have sin in your heart, Johannes? Yes, answered the sick man timidly. Much sin, altogether too much. This is what she says. Just that should make clear to you that God has not forsaken you, said the woman firmly. Only he can see his sin who has the Holy Spirit. Do you mean to say, Katrina, that it could be a work of God that my heart is so unclean? Not that your heart is unclean, that is the work of sin, but that you now see it, that is the work of God. So if you're wondering, oh, I'm so messed up, that's a work of God that you even see that. You're in the light to even see that. It's the people who are in the, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm better than that. That's darkness. Isn't that fascinating, that combination there? Bo Geertz, in another one of his uh, devotions, writes this, the conscience our own anxiety, all slaves of law, bid us go the way of obedience to the very end in order to find peace with God. But the way of obedience has no end. It lies endlessly before you, bringing continually severe demands and constantly growing indebtedness. But now Christ is the end of the law. The road ends at his feet, and here his righteousness is offered to everyone who believes. It is that place to Jesus only that God has wanted to drive you with all your unrest and anguish of soul, and that Katrina, that older woman, to that uh, tortured soul, Johannes, led him to Jesus. Led him to the light of his love. So, um, so are you saying, John, that it's, well that, because um, I, I keep on sinning, and I haven't stopped sinning, and every day I keep doing it, doesn't seem to ever stop, that that's like normal? <laughs> well, I'm telling you, um, it was the perfectionists, the separatists, the false teachers who said, that's abnormal. Sin always remains but it's always atoned for. So wait a minute. Are you, so, so tell me, John, are you saying uh, I can keep on sinning and still be saved? Am I 
response to that is, why do you want to know? <laughs> if you want to know because it's like, great, then I'm going to go out and live whatever way I want, the answer is no. But if you say, oh, I mean, I keep struggling, it just keeps, the answer is yes. Do you get it? It's the difference of being exposed to the light of God's love and truth and grace in Jesus and trying to hide from it and run your own life. So the question is for you online, for you here today, where are you right now? Are you walking in darkness? Are you kind of hiding, covering up, denying, trying to like look better than you really are, putting on a mask? We've all done it countless times. It's time to let yourself be in the light of God's love and see who Jesus is and how the book of Colossians says he has transferred you, he's removed you from the kingdom of darkness and placed you in the light of his grace and mercy. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this amazing uh, word from John that walking in the light is not about being perfect or morally like <laughs> together. But walking in the light is just being real with you and others, being honest and letting your word have its way to say back to you what you said about us. We thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you that we can be a fellowship where we are honest to God and honest with each other, where the masks can come down, where we are free to let it just be not about fixing ourselves up all the time <laughs> or trying to fix it all, but to not hide anymore. We pray especially for those who are struggling with these issues, Lord, who are scared, who are fearful of ever coming or walking into a church because they're afraid uh, that it's all about morality in that sense of uh, they've got to have their act together to be acceptable. When you have said again and again, Lord Jesus, that we find our acceptance that we find our peace, that we have it all because of what you did for us, that you were rejected and despised and forsaken, and therefore we are accepted and redeemed. We thank you for that, Lord, for that real word of grace and how that grace does change us and free us. Thank you, Lord. We lift up to you today. Um, those who are traveling, we just pray that the light of your love and mercy would be with them, that they can walk and live in the confidence of your grace in their lives, that they can be honest with you, Lord, that we don't deceive ourselves in thinking we have not sinned, but we confess our sins, and you are faithful and just to forgive us. We uh, pray for those in our congregation who are hurting and struggling, Lord, financially, or economically or psych, uh, uh, socially right now, Lord, the pandemic has really taken a toll on us all. We pray for your healing upon Chris Rodriguez and Evelyn Cardenas and Bill Watson. We pray for Kai and for Rachel and for Christopher and for others who need your healing touch who are connected to our church through loved ones here, Lord. We just pray, Lord, your will is done and the light of your love shines upon them and they no longer are, you know, hiding in the darkness in any form, but allowed to be who they are before you and allow your love and mercy and truth to transform them, Lord God. 
We pray for the rest of this summer, Lord, and a time of refreshment and renewal for us all. We pray, Lord, that this letter of 1 John would be ingrained in us, that we understand how to walk more in light rather than darkness, to let ourselves be yours, and uh, to receive from you all your goodness and grace. Lord God, we pray as we will receive the Lord's Supper shortly here for those who are in person that you would truly, um, well, give us what you want and we speak to you what you really speak of us, Lord, that we are honest with you and open to you, that we receive it with faith, that we receive it with open hands, and that we receive all the benefits you give uh, to us in it, Lord God. And we pray, Lord, that you would um, bless those uh, who are not with us physically this morning, but that you would be present with them now and move us all, Lord, uh, move us all closer to you and keep us united even across the miles this summer. All this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.